Thanks for joining for this episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, my guest for this episode is Wolf Gerlich, uh, and uh, thank you for joining me. Wolf, tell us about you. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Tony. Uh, tell you about me. So I've, I've been all over. You know, it occurred to me that my career actually started the year Hackers came out, so sometimes that makes me feel good, like, yeah, right when Hackers came out, and other times it not so much because I realized how long ago that was. Yes. I've, uh, let's see, I, I ran IT in a, a hospital for a while. I've been in and out of consulting at uh, three different consulting firms as, uh, as VP running practices. Uh, I ran IT, IT security, uh, application development, uh, you know, did some DevOps work and uh, ended up doing security for a, a money management firm out in Michigan. And uh, today, today I am uh, with Cisco as uh, one of the duo advisory CISOs. Okay, very cool. And I mean, I've, uh, you know, Cisco is obviously Cisco, but uh, I've always been a fan of duo. I thought that was a, a kind of a huge win for Cisco, uh, picking up picking up duo. I um, uh, think that's a great company. And I, I, I had uh, a couple months ago, I had uh, Wendy Nather on uh, mm. the podcast. Um, so you're, you're now my, uh, second, uh, CISO advisory council person. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so let's, let's start there because I, I, I told you before we got started that that's actually something I've kind of been curious of is, is the CISO advisory council. And I'm sure that if I Google it and did some digging, I could find that on my own, but I've got you here. So I can just ask you to explain it. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the concept of a CISO. I'm familiar, you know, organizations have a CISO, mm -hmm. um, to my knowledge, I, I've not heard of it elsewhere, to my knowledge, Duo is the only organization where there is a CISO advisory council. And so what is that and how does that different, how is that different from just having a CISO? Yeah, sure. Uh, so let me step back and, and talk just a little bit about Duo's approach and then I'll, I'll get right to your question as to why we've got a council. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, like you, I've known Duo for a long time, uh, recommended them many times when I was doing consulting work. And uh, I always liked it because I came from money management days where we had, you know, a key ring of RSA tokens to get into anything. And uh, and I remember just the, the pain that was uh, MFA and the pain that was trying to get, uh, you know, MDM rolled out on devices to get device insights and all this sort of stuff. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about Duo and attracted me to the company was uh, was a focus in on simplicity and focus in on what matters to the the folks who are you know using the tool, administering the tool, and, and ultimately uh, responsible for the security of the tool. Um, and so they've always had this very religious focus in on 
those areas. And, and part of it is um, understanding what the market wants and what they care about, right? So um, the role of the advisory CISO is uh, to basically bring that CISO perspective in and, and reflect and advocate for uh, the CISO persona uh, within Duo and uh, in communicating with the, the product teams and the marketing teams, as well as bringing the security knowledge and expertise um, in some of the, the ways we see the market shift, uh, specifically around zero trust and things, uh, out to the broader market and to CISO customers of Duo. Uh, so we effectively, the CISO council, uh, the advisory CISOs, uh, serve as that bridge uh, between what my day job used to be <laughs> and what what the the folks are who are you know executing on the technology from a day to day perspective. Okay, so um, you know, like at, at Alert Logic, we have a customer advisory board. So there's a, mm -hmm. you know, a selection of customers who are invited to kind of, you know, get the inside scoop and let us know, are we doing good? Are we doing bad? Where, you know, what should we be doing? You know, those kind of things. Uh, so if I'm understanding, it seems like, you know, Duo is kind of doing that, but sort of internally. It's, you're, you're sort of like the, you're sort of like an internal customer advisory board uh, that's kind of being acting as like a liaison of, of what's going on in the world and 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 reflecting that back to let duo know okay well you know are we on the right path or what should we be doing differently yeah i think that's that's a good way to put it i mean advisory boards are are fantastic and uh you know i sat on them a few in the in the past and i always did like to come in and spend that time with the designers and the you know the c levels and explain what i cared about and and why uh, but I, I don't know at Alert Logic the frequency with many of the other vendors I've seen over the years. That frequency is maybe once every year, you know, maybe at, at an aggressive level once every quarter. Um, the ability to uh, be, you know, in the role in the office day to day, interacting with folks day to day, uh, I think brings a, a lot deeper, more granular information, better conversations. Okay. Very cool. Um, so, what is your you know now now you you've been there uh, I don't know a couple months. Um, so, what is your primary focus? Like, what do you like? What, does are are the 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 participants are the members of the CISO advisory board? Uh, do you all you know all, all kind of do the same thing, or are there like? Uh, are you assigned like a, Hey, can you focus on healthcare? Can you focus on FinTech? Can you, or how does that work? Yeah. You know, we, we go where the need is. We do have folks out in EMEA who are focusing on that area. Uh, we got, uh, you know, Dave Lewis, who was his ever the globe trotter. He is in a different country. It seems like every time I talk to him, uh, for myself, you know, I've, I've deep, deep Midwest roots, um, and I do have that background in medical and finance, so I, I have been focusing primarily on those areas. Uh, but uh, you know, security as a as a practice and security as a problem is is wide and deep. So generally, we we go where the problems take us. Okay. Um, so what's what's interesting you these days in cybersecurity? What what's what's got your attention? Uh, a lot of what I've been focusing in on is is around zero trust. Uh, it's it's fascinating to me the shift we're seeing 
in terms of the amount of information we can get. Uh, you know, I, I think about a lot of different disruptive innovations. Um, I just wrote a, a blog about the the Raptors um, and the jersey. Do you know the jersey story? Like the story of the the dinosaur that used to be on the jersey in the nineties? No. So do you remember it? I mean, do yes. you remember how crazy yes. this was? Like Space Jam and all this right. stuff. And out comes the Toronto Raptors, and they got this huge dinosaur, right? Uh, and what was fascinating about that was um, around that same time, they had, you know, the Phoenix Suns, which had this crazy Sun Star uh, jersey. They had the Sonics that uh, went through this whole recoloring. And they had all these, like, weird, very quintessential 90s jerseys all across the NBA. And you stop and wonder, you know, why was that? Why did that happen then? Why did it happen um, right around the early 90s. And then, of course, what, where did it go? Because today we're back to, uh, you know, the, the Raptors being in the quintessential, like, one-color, normal font and, and looking like every other team. And a lot of times when you look at these sort of disruptive waves, it, it's, um, you know, a, a change in a technology. And in that case, it was a, a thing called dye sublimation. So dye sublimation came out, allowed you to print the designs around the shirts, uh, before then, you had to like hand stitch everything, and of course, stitching meant more weight, more cost, more heat. No one wanted to have a, a jersey that was heavy, hot, and costly. Um, so up until dye sublimation came out, all the jerseys looked the same, and then we had this incredible explosion. And so I, I'm always very fascinated at those types of changes where you reach a tipping point where the technology gets so good, so cheap, or a new technology comes and disrupts it that allows you to basically upend a lot of old assumptions. And, and my hunches, my guess is, is that's where we're, we've reached with zero trust in terms of you know, networking being software defined, in terms of, I'm sure what you see a lot of alert logic with uh, the richer uh, signals we can get from log information in terms of you know, ML and AI finally coming from hype, and they still are buzzword hype words, so, <laughs> but, but actually being something that can run on a product, right, can, can run in our technology stack and do some really interesting analytics. Uh, we're reaching this point where uh, my gut is, is that we're at this, this tipping point where um, technology is going to have to be reinvented around uh, these new techs because the old ways, obviously, of just saying, yeah, you're on the network, you're trusted, or yeah, you've got a user ID, you must be okay. Um, clearly, in the you know twenty thirty years that we've been doing this, <laughs> haven't been sufficient. True. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I've had that conversation frequently. The sort of like, you know, we're 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 thirty forty years into this uh, cybersecurity experiment, and it seems like we have the same issues and the same conversations, and we keep repitching the same solutions. And to that to that point, and I'm I, I'm not going to pull it up right now, so I might be misinterpreting, or you know, I'm certainly paraphrasing. But uh, Christopher Hoff, like just in the last week or so, posted a thing kind of about Zero Trust, ranting about, you know, that it's essentially just a rebranding. Like, you know, like we, it, it, there's, the things that we're doing in Zero Trust were already part of like best practices and there were things you should have been doing anyway. Sure. Um, and he, he always likes to take those polarizing stances and I love it. But here's the thing. I was talking to 
uh, a, a CISO of a friend of mine who's in the banking industry. And one of the things that he brought up I thought was very interesting is that a lot of times there are 100 different best practices you can do, right? There's 100 different things you can do. You probably have time for 10 of them. Um, and somewhere in that 100 plus that you should be doing, two of them are going to bite you because they're going to lead to a breach or, you know, lead to some issue. So you, somehow you got to select the right 10 uh, because you only have so much time and so much, uh, you know, focus and budget and everything. Selecting those 10 requires you to have a good overall strategy and a good overall um, theme for what you're trying to do. And you have to be able to communicate that theme to your vendors. You have to communicate that theme to your staff. You have to, you know, communicate that theme to uh, your board. And fundamentally, what is strategy if it isn't a clearly communicated message that you can rally everyone around to get something done? So in security, we tend to push back a lot on, on buzzwords, rightfully so, because marketing takes them and runs with them and drives us all nuts. But at the same time, these types of innovation waves and hype waves give us the, that language and those tools to rally people around a whole bunch of concepts. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir a tad on the, the buzzwords. Um, I, I did a presentation at the Houston Security Conference uh, a couple months ago um, that was focused on uh, buzzwords and kind of getting beyond the hype. And, um, you know, Michael, Michael Farnham had uh, specifically invited me and, and it was his idea, uh, you know, what the topic was because of sort of my unique position kind of simultaneously working on the security side, in the marketing side, and on the journalism side, so mm -hmm. that I have this perspective of, you know, what's reality versus what's buzzword. Um, and you know, to to your earlier point about AI and and ML specifically, you know, th th those are two that I kind of you know, there are buzzwords that are just buzzwords, um, and then there are buzzwords like AI and ML. Uh, just just in case there's someone listening that doesn't know artificial intelligence and machine learning um, that certainly are abused. And, and certainly we've had years of companies kind of over promising or making claims that were absurd as it relates to AI and ML. But it also there is potential there. There are companies that are actually using it and, and, and making a difference. And I think that it will make a difference going forward. So that's the AI and ML are, are, are buzzwords that I think we will eventually get beyond the buzzword portion. Yeah, I, I would agree. And here, here's the thing, um, to use another example of a technology disruptor um, in another area that I'm you know always thinking about is the design and, and of these types of objects. If you think back to like the 1940s and you think back to like um, the music that you hear, like the big band sound, right? Um, it's, it's always high pitched. Um, the musicians always seem to be like they're belting out or yelling out at the microphone. And there was a point where that music collided with the crooners, you know, the Frank Sinatra's, right? Um, and when that happened, that happened in large part because a new microphone came out, new microphone technologies came out. Uh, right around the late 30s. And those microphones allowed you to hold the mic really close, sing really rich, um, and do things that were absolutely impossible you know, five years ago with recording technology. Now, people at the time would probably say, oh, wait a minute, 
you can't necessarily like wrap a buzzword around that. It's just a microphone. It's the same thing we've always been doing. And it's absolutely correct. We're still capturing sound. We're still recording that sound to cylinders. It was still music. Um, however, however, it was a much, much deeper, deeper, richer experience for the listeners. And I think in the same way, we, today we look at uh, ML and AI and like, oh, well, I've been doing pattern recognition and regex expressions forever. It's, it's just another example of that. Absolutely. And yet, when these algorithms reach a tipping point where they're able to um, actually pull in that information and give us some good trust signals that we can then act upon, uh, it's going to you know, create the Frank Sinatra's of CISOs, right? It's going to create opportunities that were absolutely unimaginable 10 years ago. I would agree. Um, before we before we started recording the the podcast, when you and I were chatting, uh, you you had brought up kind of the, you know the uh, design and artistry of cybersecurity, and and I, I think I, I want to get your thoughts on that. And one of the things that I find interesting about that as well is, um, uh, I think it was just last month that I had uh, Brooke Shunfield from uh, IOActive on uh, the podcast. And, and a lot of like his focus and on basically the whole podcast we talked about was, you know, revolved around kind of design. Uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but but cybersecurity design um, mm-hmm. and and and, you know, um, you know, we also talked about threat modeling and things like that. But uh, so 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 let me let me get your thoughts on design and artistry of cybersecurity. Yep, absolutely. Give me one second, um, and I'll take a breath. <laughs> I was taking a note to check out that podcast. All right. Yeah, I'm going to have to definitely take a look at that podcast. Thank you for mentioning that. I've been spending a lot of time looking at the design aspect. Uh, and fundamentally, it's because we come at cybersecurity from our roots, and most of our roots are that of the technologist. Uh, it's either on or it's off. It's either configured or not. It's either patched or not patched. And when we start looking at how the technology has been applied in cybersecurity, we start to realize that fundamentally security happens uh, when mankind meets the machine, right? Security happens at the intersection of all this beautiful tech that we thought was great, and now it's hitting the real world and people are using it. And if it's usable, if it's um, intuitive, if it's uh, what they expect, if it doesn't add too much steps, um, users embrace it. And if it doesn't, that's usually when we've got things like shadow IT popping up. We've got people being creative and rolling their own. We've got people avoiding the controls. We've got all the books and the podcasts and the articles about work hacking and how to get around the system. And so... There's, there's a real need, I believe, to bring in some of the humanities, some of the arts, some of the design, some of the psychology into the space of how we look at cybersecurity. Yeah, I mean, and I think that, it, so if I'm you know, following along, uh, which I, I think I am, uh, you know, one of the things that I've seen over the years is, you know, Cybersecurity. There's like IT, and then there's cybersecurity, and it's like you're almost like opposing forces. And uh, and you know when I was when I was more in in the trenches as a security analyst and architect, um, you know there was very much a sense of 
I was the guy that was getting in the way of people getting their work done. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the roadblock that was saying, nope, sorry, you can't do that. And, uh, and I think we've come a long way over the you know decade plus since then to a better understanding of cybersecurity as a business enhancer and not a business you know preventer. Um, and I th- and 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 to kind of tie that back in, I mean, I think part of that is is kind of getting beyond the uh, sort of rigid perception of cybersecurity. Like, no, the, these are the rules, and you 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 know you must follow these rules, and and taking a a more uh, you know, to 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 steal a, a common buzzword, taking a more holistic approach to it, and looking at. Okay, but you know what? What is the ultimate goal we're trying to get to as a company, and how do we make this all work together? Not you know, not just I'm going to enforce my rules. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it's it's understanding that all right, if we accept that our mission as professionals is to protect the organization's ability to achieve its mission, right? The, right. the business is making money for some reason. We need to protect the people who are making that money. Uh, it it comes down to uh, designing for usability and designing for defensibility. And what I mean by that is, um, on the defensibility side, you mentioned threat modeling. You do a threat model and you figure out here's the steps the attacker would take from the you know edge of my network to the you know resource that they're looking to steal, thwart, ransom, whatever it is. Here's the path that they take. Here's all those steps. And then on the usability side, it's about you know business process modeling. Here is the steps that the employee is going to fulfill from the time they start the process to complete the process to do something of meaningful work for the organization. And I, I believe the the art of security is saying, all right, how can we uh, reduce the steps and simplify the steps um, and make them more humane and make them more uh, predictable on the users so that people will follow the processes we built and not have to get creative and work around it. Um, and at the same time, how can we increase the steps on the attacker, right? How can we add right. more complexity to their world? Well, and to tie that way back to the beginning, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, that's sort of the uh, genesis of Duo is <laughs> is kind of saying, okay, well, we have these processes that are cumbersome that nobody wants to do and everyone hates. How can we simplify that process? Um, so switching, um, it looks like you're muted now, but um, uh, recently, so we, we've got Black Hat coming up in a uh, couple, you know, in about a month or so. Um, and, you know, everyone's kind of, you know, working on putting their travel arrangements in place. And I know that there are, you know, uh, there are efforts online. Uh, you know, Marcus Carey, who's a, a friend of mine and I believe a friend of yours as well, is you know, always, always willing to do everything he can to, to help out the cybersecurity community. And I know he's been doing different things uh, on Twitter to, you know, get people to kind of come together to help people get there, to get to Black Hat. Um, but you posted a thing the other day on Twitter that uh, really resonated with me, and I, I, mean, I think I re- reshared it and stuff, um, where you said, 
if you're new and you're GoFunding or you're going into debt for DEF CON, don't. Start local. Check out your local meetups, groups, B-sides. Work up to the nearby city conferences. There are people and information right where you are. Start local. And I think that that is, I think it is an important message uh, for, for people to hear. I mean, it, it seems like the cybersecurity world revolves around RSA and Black Hat. And to an extent, it does. I mean, those are obvious. Those are major events. They're pretty evenly spaced in the year. So it's like, it seems like, you know, those are the two things that everyone goes to. Um, but to your point, there are, you know, B-sides pretty much everywhere around the globe. And there are, you know, other smaller uh, sort of user groups and meetups and, and things that uh, that happen locally all over the place. And, and so I think it is important, uh, you know, for us to sort of make that point publicly and, and let people know if you're just getting started or you're trying to get started, uh, you know, you, you, you don't need to run up your credit cards uh, to get to uh, Vegas for Black Hat and DEF CON. Um, so uh, let's, uh, I just wanted to see if you had any, any more thoughts on that. I think the super conferences, right, the DEF CONs, the Black Hats, what have you, uh, are fantastic events and, and people get from them what they put in, right? It's not necessarily what conference you go to, it's, it's how you conference. The concerns that I get, and this is in a way sort of like the buzzword we were talking about earlier, right, is for people who are just starting out who think, well, if I go into debt, I'll get this great job at DEF CON and I'll be able to pay it off in six months <laughs> or everyone and their brother trying to do a GoFundMe. And that really concerns me because while you can get a, a lot of richness and, and a lot of good community from going to the larger events, most of the work comes from the you know the people you meet and know locally, and most of the good conversations and the ongoing uh, engagements comes from you know people who are down the street from you or people you can meet up with once or twice a, a month. And there are thankfully, due to B sides, um, due to the local DefCon groups, due to the emergence of a number of different communities like uh, MySec is, is in Michigan, BurbSec is in Chicago, you got AHA, you got DFW groups. You know, you mentioned earlier the group that you spoke at. There are tons and tons of local resources that I believe get overshadowed and get forgotten about, especially when folks are, are entering our, our field and our profession. And, uh, and I think that's a shame. I think it's really important to connect with those local groups and uh, and start in ways that are accessible, that uh, have low barriers to entry and can ultimately have a, a greater impact on, uh, on one's career. Now, when I posted that, some people pushed back and they go, wait a minute, I don't have community around me. <laughs> and that's true in some areas, you know, Tony, you and I are both lucky to have strong local communities. And I, I know not everyone is right. as fortunate to have that. Right. But even so, even then, and, and, and again, an, an argument can be made either way about, you know, the value of, of going to the, 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 the super conferences, as you put it. And, and I, I try to never miss them. I mean, I, they're tremendous networking opportunities. Um, but, but at this point, it's a network that I've mostly already made, you know, so it's me going to hang out with people I already know more or less. Um, but, 
if you are in an area where you know there isn't a B-sides and you can't find a, a local user group within 15 miles, there are still like LinkedIn groups and Facebook groups where you can still kind of get a similar thing virtually. I mean, I, I realize it's not the same, but I'm just saying that is there as an option. And, and there are so many people who are willing to help out and are willing to you know give guidance and mentor uh, you know online. Uh, you don't you don't have to go into debt to get to Vegas. Absolutely true. And I think Johnny Christmas put it real well. Um, there isn't a local group near you. It means there's time to roll up your sleeves and get to work. Uh, someone had to start your local community, right? There there was no MySec 10 years ago. There was no uh, BurbSec in Chicago 10 years ago before those folks got together and made it a thing. Um, if there isn't a group, perhaps that's a great opportunity for folks as well to start something and start connecting with people and, and start having presentations and social hours and, and everything else. And then leveraging those online groups to bring the information in local. Yeah, that's a tremendous point. Um, you know, and I will say, like, I think that the, you know, whether it's local and then, you know, when you get to the RSAs and the Black Hats and stuff, um, that, you know, when I go to those conferences, yes, I want to, you know, I, I, I go to the keynotes to see what is being said. I look at what, you know, announcements the vendors are making. I, you know, try to attend some sessions and, and, and learn a thing or two. But the real reason I'm there is networking. It's making connections. Mm -hmm. It's reconnecting with people I'm already connected with. And ultimately, I think that is that that's where like all of the value is. Like, you know, when, when, when the time comes that you are in a position where you are looking for the next thing, or maybe the next thing just comes and finds you, um, it's usually through that network. I mean, you know, I mean, I get, I, I do get, you know, uh, sort of solicitations all the time on LinkedIn from, you know, headhunters and recruiters who are like, Hey, you know, we're looking for this, that, or the other thing. And those almost are never even remotely a good fit. Sometimes they're not even in the right <laughs> ballpark. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, I, I looked at your resume and you know, it seems like you'd be a great uh, warehouse logistics uh, person. I'm like, does it? <laughs> that's, that's what you got out of my resume? Um, you know, but it, you know, when, when I was, you know, after, after uh, you know, after I was uh, abruptly uh, let go at Tenable <laughs> and I wasn't like super active uh, looking for something new because I've got all my own stuff going on the side. I've got my website. I'm I'm doing freelancing, and so uh, you know I I I I didn't need the day job per se, but it, but I I wanted it. I liked it, and so I was kind of like passively uh, looking and 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 putting out uh, feelers and going on things like Dice and Monster and whatever else to see what was out there. But ultimately, it was my own network that found me my next gig um and you know i mean i and i don't i don't know how you got from where you were to duo um if if that was something you sought out or if they sought you out but i i i imagine and, and you can correct me if i'm wrong i'm just i'm really just making stuff up now but i imagine that that wasn't a situation of you know a, a recruiter on linkedin saying hey i looked at your resume and it looks like you'd be good for this job <laughs> no, you're, you'd be right there. You'd be right there. And I think, uh, you know, whether it's job hunting 
which uh, you're spot on. Most folks find, you know, mid-career to senior career, find most of their uh, next positions from the connections they make in the community uh, to making your current job better. Uh, at Duo and, and before when I was at uh, my previous company, you know, I run into something I don't know. I can reach out on Twitter or reach out to folks on Slack or whatever and say, hey, you, I know you're an expert on this. Can you give me, you know, five minutes and we can chat? Uh, right before hopping on this podcast, I was um, on, a, on another call just running some ideas by someone I trust who uh, who's worked in the field for a very long time was giving me some feedback. And it's it's the ability to uh, collect information and act on it, I think, really, really boils down to what makes a, a good professional or a great professional. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to, to, to start to kind of wind down, but uh, I, I want to go back to something. When you were telling the story of uh, uh, the Raptors jerseys and the you know, dye sublimation and stuff, um, you know, I'm I'm from Detroit. You're from Detroit. The only thing, the only thing I could think of there was, huh? Does that explain why Detroit did that crazy thing where they went with the teal uniforms for a while? Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> because that that uh, that design, it was actually made by the exact same uh, designer who did the Raptors jersey. That that sort of teal thing with the burning flaming head, right? Yeah. Flaming horse head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was not a that was not a great look for the Pistons. That was the beginning of the end. They were good before that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting too. These these times of technological inflection points. Um, oftentimes, the the people who uh, you know grasp it, grasp the new technology, jump on it are the people who are able to make a ton of progress in a really short period of time. I mentioned, you know, Frank Sinatra, and uh, we remember that guy forever, right? But if that microphone hadn't been around, would we? Would we even know who he was? Um, or would he have just, you know, faded off into into nowhere? And in the same way, the, the 90s, the guy who did that Pistons jersey um, was a, a designer who was hired in and uh, he had this basically was given a, a blank slate to design all these jerseys. It ended up being one guy. You know, you would think it would be someone from the Pistons, someone from the Raptors. It was just one guy who saw his chance, saw the change in technology, and jumped on it and rode that way for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that actually brings up a, a, an interesting uh, additional point, which is how often – there are uh, sort of companies or ideas that fundamentally change the way we live and work and act and think. Um, and, you know, like Facebook jumps out, you know, like that, that is, you know, for good, bad or indifferent, it has certainly changed uh, the way we communicate and, and take in information. But, you know, somewhere out there, you know, there's the guy who started MySpace uh, and you know, and uh, you know, there's a recently there was a, a Nat Geo series uh, called the Valley of the Boom that looked at oh. some of the uh, you know early '90s uh, uh, Silicon Valley stories. One of which was about uh, the guys that started the Globe.com. And I have to admit, prior to seeing the series on Nat Geo, I'd never heard of the Globe. Mm. 
Um, but I've got the, you know, the, the, I've got the book now uh, by uh, Stephen uh, Patternot, who's or Stefan Patternot, who is one of the founders. Um, and and it, you know, so that's interesting to me. It's like there were people who had very similar ideas, and either they were at the wrong time or they just weren't executed the same. Uh, you know, but but you know, when you when you look back on it, it's like Facebook somehow magically became the thing but it wasn't the first thing. Yeah, and I think uh, to, to wrap it around to, to the theme of uh, buzzwords, if we were doing this podcast in you know, 2005 to 2010, uh, we would be complaining about, uh, you know, people keep saying cloud, and that's just a buzzword. It's, that's just the latest version of hosting. And I bet you Hoff would be giving us some fantastic tweets about it. <laughs> uh, and, and somehow, somehow... Amazon saw the opportunity and was able to build the technology. And we were talking earlier about uh, AWS Reinforce coming up, which is the, the conference right around the corner, uh, where now AWS is the premier platform. They are the winner. They're the Facebook of the cloud at the moment. Uh, just because these inflection points occur, oftentimes you know, with a lot of buzz and a lot of hype that drives us all nuts, just because these inflection points occur, and we're aware of them, does not guarantee success. You still got to have all the community behind you, all the professionalism, and uh, frankly, a, a good deal of luck to be successful. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, I think we will uh, wrap it up there, but uh, uh, thank you very much for joining me. I think it was a interesting and uh, enlightening conversation, and now I can rest easy knowing why it is that Detroit made the decision to go with teal uniforms that, that you know, I can take that one off of my checklist. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining me. And uh, uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up at Black Hat. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I appreciate uh, you letting me know about some of the earlier conversations because I'll definitely be going back and uh, listening to your back catalog. Awesome. All right, man. Take care. Cheers. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.